Okay, we're going to look today, we're going to look at Lesson 19. We're going to start the journey to Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea is a very significant place. We're going to talk about why that is next week. But we're, we're going to leave now Mount Sinai. We're going to leave where they are and make the journey, because remember, they're supposed to go to the Promised Land, right? They're supposed to go to the Promised Land. But we're going to see that as they leave, there's some problems that happen. Okay? There, there's some problems. And, and you just got to hand it to Moses because he's willing to stick it out. Do you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, well, actually today he's not willing to stick it out. He asked God to do something. And it's not towards the people. Okay? It's because of the people. And we're going to see that today. So we're going to look at chapters 10 verse 11 through chapter 12, verse 16. Now, again, we're not going to read the scripture because there's a large portion of scripture there, uh, but we are going to take a look at several things here. So, first of all, in chapter, the rest of chapter 10, chapter 10, verse 11 through 36, we're going to see that they, the, they depart from Sinai, okay? So they depart from where Mount Sinai is. So 20 days after giving instructions concerning moving towards Canaan, the cloud lifted. Okay? So remember, they were given instructions about how they were to march. Remember we talked about that the last time we looked at this? They were given instructions about what order they were to march in and uh, what, where the tabernacle was to be in the order and the, and the different parts of it and how they were to march into a place. Well, exactly 20 days after those instructions were given, the cloud, the Shekinah glory, lifts from the tabernacle and moves out. That's a sign to the people that they're to what, folks? Move. Follow the cloud, right? Okay? So 20 days after that, they're giving those instructions, the cloud lifted. So the cloud directed Israel to journey three days towards the wilderness of Paran. So the cloud, this pillar of cloud, directs the people, the Israelites, to move to the wilderness of Paran. So first of all, this is three days journey into the desert, okay? So this is not like the scenic road trip that you would take if you're going to go down I-80 and you know every 20 miles is a rest area. This isn't it. This is in, uh, you know, the whole issue of moving a whole bunch of people into the desert three days. Okay? So the tribes departed the wilderness of Sinai in the marching order that the Lord had directed them. So they marched out in the order that they were told earlier. So they did exactly as they were told as far as marching out. Okay? So you're talking actually 13 tribes, because remember there are two half-tribes, Manassas and Ephraim. Okay? So 13 tribes. The one tribe of Levite is always with the tabernacle stuff. Okay? So they head on out in the order that they were directed. Now here's something that's very interesting. It's kind of like a side note, but it's very important. Remember, Moses has in-laws, Midianites, who, of course, Jethro is the father-in-law, and he has a brother-in-law, Hobab, who lives with him, okay, who's been staying with him. So as they're leaving Mount Sinai, 
Moses invited his brother-in-law, Hobab, to accompany him to the land of promise. So Moses is kind of like, hey, why don't you take the journey with us? Okay, now think about that. As you find out what's going to happen later, that's quite a request. Okay, take the journey with us to the promised land. Okay, now of course, Hobab, if you read the scripture, is not wanting to do that. You know, I mean, you're talking about moving with these complaining people you know, to Canaan, and he's from the area there. But Moses is is thinking. He's He's got a reason for wanting his brother-in-law to come with him. So Hobab would be familiar with the desert routes that Israel would need to take. So he knows the roadways, okay? He knows the roadways. He's kind of the GPS that you have on your uh, on your phone. You know what I'm saying? Remember, we used to use maps to figure out where to go. Nobody has a map anymore. We have our phones now to guide us where we want to go, right? But there were no maps back then, and there were no there was no cell towers with smartphones. Okay, so Hobab knew the desert route. So Moses has got a reason for inviting his brother-in-law along. He needs somebody who can direct them the right direction to Kadesh Barnea. Okay, so he needs him to come along. Now, Moses would invoke, now this is something that he would do every day. So this is interesting. We can think about this for a moment. Moses would invoke God's presence through prayer at the beginning and the end of a day's journey. So if you look, in fact, let's look at that. If you go to chapter 10 of Numbers, Verse 35, so when it was that whenever the ark set out, Moses said, now this is him invoking God, when it set out, okay, rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, let those who hate you flee before you. So it's a kind of like a prayer. God, scatter our enemies. You, you be who you are today, okay? Then notice, when it rested, here's how he prayed when it came back, Return, O Lord, to the many thousands of Israel. So God, let your presence be among us as we're, as we're finishing out the day here. Now isn't that interesting? God, that Moses would start out his day with prayer, asking God to what? Be with him, take care of his enemies, and then, Lord, let your presence be with us in the evening when we're here. You know what I'm saying? Now is there something we can learn from that? Is, is there something we can learn from that? Or do you just start your day, okay, coffee, I'm ready. Is your coffee really that powerful enough to let you handle the junk you face each day? No, not really, right? But there's something about asking God to be with you as you start your day and scatter your enemies. You do have enemies, right? Yeah, you, you know you do, Okay. And then in the day, when you, when you start out your day, God, may your presence rest with me this evening. You know what I'm saying? So it's quite an interesting thing Moses is doing here. Okay? So this is what Moses is doing as they're departing. Now, when you get to chapter 11, verse 1, through chapter 12, verse 16. So this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. You're going to see that things aren't great that there are some problems, and people are the problem, you're going to see that there are two significant rebellions that happen against Moses. Okay? Everybody understand what a rebellion is? 
It's like, we're done with you. We're getting rid of you. We're, we're going to do our own thing. We're not following your lead anymore. Okay, so here's what happens. First of all, in chapter 11, verses 1 to 35, there's the rebellion of the people. The people rebel against Moses. Now, they do two things here. We're going to see two things that are mentioned here. First of all, in verses 1 to 3, we're going to see that the people are complaining. Okay? That's not normal, is it? People don't complain, right? Yeah, those, especially those of you who are in customer service, customers never complain, right? Right? Bosses never complain. Right? Okay. People complaining. All right? So here, notice what happens here. After the three-day journey, the people began to complain in the hearing of the Lord, the text says. The text says that after they've gone three days into the wilderness, a Paran, people start grumbling and complaining again. Okay? Okay, stop for a moment. They've been spending about two years at the foot of Mount Sinai, which is not beautiful area. Okay? I mean, it's, it's not the greatest place to live, but they've been there for two years in preparation for this. They're moving to go where? To the promised land. The land that they were promised that's flowing with milk and honey. Where they would get their own piece of land and start their lives all over. Okay, so they're starting to move in that direction, and guess what they do? They complain. They grumble in the hearing of the Lord. Now here's what happens though. God's not going to put up with it. So in his anger, God consumed the complainers with fire. Now that's an interesting way to deal with people who complain, right? Call down fire on them. I know you probably would like to have had that ability with some of the people you deal with who are complaining all the time. Are you complaining? You know, take care of that, you know what I'm saying? But God in his anger is consumes the complainers with fire. So guess what they do? When this happens, they're complaining, they're grumbling, God starts bringing the fire down. Guess what they do, folks? What do they normally do when God starts to deal with them? They, they go to Moses and ask for Moses to, to intercede for them, right? So the people cried out for Moses to intercede and the fire was quenched when he prayed. Isn't that interesting? Oh, save us, Moses. God's killing us. You know? And he prays, and the fire was quenched. Okay? All right, but the complaining doesn't end there. The complaining doesn't end there, because here's what you're going to see. They're two days' journey. Now, for two years, God has provided them what? God has provided the manna for them to eat. We saw earlier that he even provided quail for them, okay? It's all part of the daily routine, all right? Well, guess what happens? They're on their way to the promised land, okay? They're on their way, all right? In verse 4 through 35, they're complaining about meat. They're complaining that they're not getting enough meat, okay? They're complaining about the food they're having. So let's look at this. The people complained that they wanted other food than the manna God provides. I'm so sick of the same old stuff every day. You, you, have you ever had anybody, do you ever had family members or kids complain like that? Why do we have tuna every Wednesday? You know? So they're complaining about the manna. Alright? So they're complaining about the manna. 
Moses asked the Lord why he was bringing this trouble with the people on him. So here's how Moses responds to it. Moses is, he's been dealing with people complaining the whole time. So guess what he does? He goes to God and says, God, why did you give me these people? They're just causing me problems. Now, is Moses complaining? Okay, he is. All right, so I want you to pay attention. There's a difference between his complaining and their complaining. Because sometimes we think complaining is the same. All complaining is the same, right? No, it isn't. There's two different types of complaining. The people are complaining in one sense, but Moses is complaining to God as well about the people. It's a different type of complaining, okay? Different type of complaining. In fact, let's go on here. Moses asked God to kill him since the responsibility of the people was too much for him. So when he goes to God and he complains, God, these people are driving me nuts. Just go ahead and kill me because I can't handle these people. Now, is Moses being real? I don't think he really wants to die, but do you think, when I say he's being real, do you think, yes, he's being real with God. Okay. So so he's being real with God, but there's still a difference in his complaining versus the complaining of the people. Okay? Between his complaining and the complaining of the people. And we're going to see because God responds to their complaints differently. Okay, we're going to see that God responds to Moses, and then we're going to see that God responds to them. Okay, so the Lord directed Moses to select 70 elders to help him to govern the people. So God listens to Moses' complaining and says, look, okay, I know you can't handle this all by your own. You need to select 70 men to help you govern these people. 70. Okay, 70 men. And so the people were to prepare themselves. So he also tells them, hey, the people were to prepare themselves for a provision of meat from the Lord. God says, okay, they're complaining about meat. I'm going to give them meat. Tell them to get ready. Tell them to get ready. I'm going to give them meat. All right? I'm going to give them meat. So the Lord was going to give them so much meat that they would be sick of it. I mean, he says that right in the passage. God says, I'm going to give them so much meat, they're going to be wishing that they ever had it. This is an interesting revelation about God. That sounds like something you and I would say. Well, I'm going to just give it to them so much that they get sick of it. That's how God's responding here to the people. I'm going to give them meat. You want meat? I'll give you meat. That's basically what's going on here. Okay? The Lord was going to give them so much meat that they would be sick of it. So Moses selected the 70 elders and the Spirit of God rested on them as they prophesied. The Spirit of God rested on them as they prophesied. Now, actually, if you read the text, there's only 68 of them who are with Moses when they get anointed to be these these elders. Two of them are still in the camp. They haven't gotten there. But when the Spirit of God comes on them, two of the elders were not there, but the Spirit of God rested on them in the camp. Okay? So the Spirit of God came upon them as well, and they're in the camp, and they start prophesying. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I need to point something out to you. 
oftentimes people who will stress that tongues is an evidence of God's Spirit being in you and that if you get saved, you need to evidence tongues in your life, will point to this passage and saying, see, Spirit came upon these people, they prophesied. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, notice what the text doesn't say. Okay, does anybody notice what the text doesn't say? Yeah, they're not speaking in tongues. It says they're what? Prophesying. Now, what is prophesying? Well, prophesying in the scripture is the proclamation of God's truth. Do you understand? It's, it's proclaiming a word from the Lord to the people. Also, I want you to notice, it only happens here with them. There's no other record of them ever doing this again. In fact, there are other times in the passage when the Spirit of God comes upon someone, for instance, King Saul, that they prophesy, but it's only one-time event. It's just to signify that the Spirit of God is upon them. And so that's what you see happening here. So you can't use this passage to say that this is for tongues, okay? It's not. This is something completely different. But, of course, the two guys who did, weren't there, maybe they got delayed or whatever, the Spirit of God comes upon them, and they are prophesying as well. Now, Joshua, you guys know who Joshua is, right? He's the right-hand man of Moses, and he gets offended at that. Okay, so Joshua took offense to this and asked Moses to forbid this prophesying by these two men. So what's going on here is Joshua's like, well, wait a minute. They can't go and do that without being with you, Moses, and happening at your direction. It's kind of like they're doing their own thing. And so he gets offended that these two guys, the Spirit of God, came upon them and are prophesying. So he's taking an offense for Moses. Okay? He's taking an offense for Moses. But I want you to see how Moses responds. He's not threatened by this at all. Here's how he responds. Moses wished that all God's people might share a measure of God's spirit as he did. So that's what's going on here. Moses says, I would wish that all men who trust the Lord would share in God's spirit. Now, aren't you glad that we as believers, we share in God's spirit? You know what I'm saying? We share in God's spirit. All right, so... The next day, here's what happened. So God said, tell the people to prepare the meat, okay? So the next day, the, God covered the camp with quail, which the people gorged themselves on. So the next day, he just covers the whole camp, I mean, literally covers the ground with quail everywhere, as much as they want, and the people gorged themselves on the quail. They lost restraint. You know what that's like? You're, you ever been so famished and, and you, you go to a buffet and you just lose it? You ever lost it at a buffet? Some of you are like, yeah, I've done that, George. Yeah. Some of you are like, I'm not admitting that. Okay. You ever lost it on ice cream or chocolate? Okay. You ever lost control eating something? Some of you are now laughing like, oh, yeah, I'm not, not going to admit that, but yes. Okay. And, and that's what they did. They lost control and just gorged themselves on the quail. So guess what happens? A plague struck the people because they did not restrain themselves. In fact, the text tells you that the, that the meat was rotting between their teeth. 
Do you know what I'm saying? The meat was rotting between their teeth. So God dealt with them. Like he gave them more than they wanted and then they like lose themselves sinfully gorging themselves and then God said, okay, here, fine. They have, you know, plague strikes them. So they were punished because they rejected God's daily provision due to unbridled appetites. So they were punished because they rejected God's daily provision. Now that's something that's a warning to us, isn't it? Sometimes we complain about God not taking care of us. And we complain. And, and you're inviting something into your life. It's in interesting, isn't it? All right, let's go on. Now, we're going to see the rebellion of, of Miriam and Aaron. The rebellion of Miriam and Aaron. Now, Miriam and Aaron, everybody know who they are? Who are they? Yeah, sister and brother of Moses. Okay, so these are family, all right? Now, Miriam and Aaron challenged Moses' authority because he married a Cushite woman. He married a Cushite woman. By the way, folks, uh, I want, you know, used to people would say that it was against God's word for people to engage in interracial marriage. Have you ever heard that before? White people shouldn't be marrying black people. You ever heard that? If you're from the South, you would have heard that, okay? Uh, I'm just going to be honest with you. This passage here tells you that that it doesn't exist in the Bible as far as a prohibition. Because Moses' Moses's family, Miriam and Aaron, challenge him for marrying a Cushite woman. Now, what's a Cushite woman? Anybody familiar with Ethiopia? Anybody know about Ethiopia? Yeah, we see Ethiopia in, in the news all the time, right? What color are Ethiopians? They're black. Moses is Mediterranean Israeli. There's obviously a difference in the races there, right? So they're complaining about him marrying a Cushite woman. At least that's what they're using as the source of the rebellion. It's actually more than that. Okay? They're using that as the source of the rebellion. So let's go on here. I want you to see something. Their true purpose was to was expressed in questioning if God only speaks through Moses. That's really what the issue is. It's not that he married a Cushite woman. It's because they want to believe that God can speak through them as well, not just Moses. They're having a rebellion with Moses' authority. Isn't that, would that make sense? Think about that for a moment. Because who's the youngest of the three? Moses. So it's not Aaron, and it's not Miriam. One of them is the older. Now, how often, we got folks here who are in a families, right? How many of you have siblings? Okay. Uh, if you were the oldest in the family, how do you like the younger ones telling you what to do? You don't. No, you don't, because in a family, there's a hierarchy, right? And usually, I mean, that's even true. Sam's over here laughing, okay? You were the baby. Yeah. <laughs> okay, he was the baby. Yeah, you were the baby, okay? How many of you babies, how many of you, how many of we got babies here in the, that you were the last one in your home? Okay, all right. Now, can I ask you a question? 
Did your siblings like you telling them what to do? You still do, okay. But do they like it? Doesn't matter, okay. All right, but here's what I want you to see now. That's the same thing going on here. So Moses, so they're, they're rebelling against him being, quote, in charge. They're questioning, they express, does God only speak through you? Okay, does God only speak through you? So, now notice something here. This is amazing. The, writers, the writer of the text tells us something that's completely amazing. If you were to read it, you were like, what? The writer expresses that Moses was more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. He was a humble man. So he's challenged. He doesn't say anything. But somebody else does speak. The Lord heard the challenge of Moses and called them to come to the tent of the meeting. Remember the tent of the meeting was where, where Moses would go to meet with God and it was outside of the camp? And others who wanted to meet with God would go there as well? Well, the Lord said, Hey, you guys, I hear what you're saying. You come meet me at the tent of the meeting. Okay, so he comes down and meets with them. God comes down and meets with them. All right? So the Lord expressed that he spoke to Moses in an absolutely unique way, face-to-face. -face. Now, folks, does God speak face-to-face -face with anybody today? No. In fact, I'll be honest with you folks, outside of Jesus interacting with people in the Gospels and Jesus interacting with people in the New Testament, you're only going to read very few times where God speaks face-to-face -face with somebody. And here's one of them with this guy. Okay, He says, I speak with Moses face-to-face. -face. With others, I speak to them through a dream or an impression or a vision. Okay? And I, it's veiled what I say to them. I talk to Moses directly. So he's saying to them, hey guys, what do you mean does God only speak to Moses? Moses is the only one I'm talking to that way. That's pretty significant, right? So the Lord questioned Miriam and Aaron as to how they could dare speak against Moses. Wow, that would get your attention, right? Like, who are you to speak against my servant? God is speaking now. I mean, if God interjected himself like that in your life, I think you'd be paying attention, right? Well, he interjects himself, and it doesn't end there. Okay, it doesn't end there. What do you mean it doesn't end there? Well, here, let me tell you what else the text tells you. The Lord struck Miriam with leprosy that covered her entire body. In fact, the text is very descriptive. The text says that she looked like a newborn babe just out of the womb. That's pretty bad, right? I mean, we, we see the pictures of when they clean the baby up. This is like, the, I mean, this is like she's covered with a skin problem. That's not good, okay? Immediately, she's covered from head to toe. Now, that, let me tell you something. That expresses to me that the source of the issue here wasn't just Aaron. The main person was who, folks, who was complaining? Miriam. Okay? Miriam. She was complaining for whatever reason. So Aaron immediately begged Moses to intervene with the Lord on behalf of Miriam. All right, now listen. Think about this for a moment, okay? So here you are. 
You're in the tent of the meeting. All right, so here's Moses. Okay, Moses over here. He's being humble. He's being quiet. Okay, so then Sam and Sue are over here with me. All right, you know, and and uh, so this is, you know, Aaron and this is Miriam. Okay, so God is saying, well, how, how dare you guys speak against my prophet? Boom, strikes her immediately with leprosy. What do you think is going through Aaron's mind? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know what I'm saying? So guess what he does? He begs Moses, Moses, isn't that what they all do when God starts punishing them? Moses, please, you know, it's like he's asking for Miriam, okay? He's asking, God, God you got to do something here. Now, it's interesting how God responds. It's interesting because he just doesn't immediately take care of the problem. He brings up an illustration. Moses prayed and asked the Lord to heal her, but the Lord stated that her sin was serious. Well, well okay, I understand, Moses, but uh, this isn't just like a little incident here. This, this is a major problem here. They're questioning the person that I've chosen to lead my nation. This is, this is a serious issue. So then here's what God says. Just like a child must face the consequences of her father's discipline, Miriam must also. So he said, for instance, if, if a child was spit upon by her dad in anger, would she not be considered unclean for seven days? That's what he says here. Would she not have to bear the consequences of her sin because she drew the, the discipline of her father? He said, it's the same thing here with Miriam. Miriam's going to have to suffer the consequences of her behavior. Okay? So she was to remain outside of the camp for seven days, and only then would the Lord heal her. So she had to exist for seven days as a leper. Now, what does that mean, George? Well, I'm going to be honest with you folks. Being a leper, even up until the time of Jesus, meant isolation. No interaction with anybody. You were by yourself for seven days. You think she's got something to think about? As she's looking at her body rotting away? Think about that. Think she's thinking about what she did? That's why God say, woman, I, she needs to be dealt with here. She needs to be dealt with here. 